John, I don't think Biden's executive orders is 40 some are worth the paper they're printed on if they are in fact even printed. Why are we even talking about it? Slow down there. There's some critical healthcare stuff in the blizzard of executive orders. Let's unpack it. Welcome to Care Talk, your American home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Well, John, President Biden has been biding his time, but now he's signed some executive orders on health care. We'll talk about some of them today. Uh, one of them I have in mind is there's one about creating a, a testing board and a public health workforce executive order. What's what's going on with that? Uh, I, I think the testing thing is interesting, but let's perhaps start with the special enrollment period. What's that related to? So, John, uh, you know, anybody who has an insurance has an, an enrollment period. It usually is toward the end of the year where you can figure out what you want to do for the next year. Um, and sometimes there's special circumstances that uh, that allow that to be opened up again. What Biden has done here is made a special enrollment period uh, under the Affordable Care Act to go from mid-February until mid-May so that people who don't have insurance can go on the exchanges and get health insurance. I mean, I think that really it, we're going to break down these different executive orders. But what we're really doing or what Biden's trying to do is to rebuild the sinews and the muscles of government to achieve what it was aimed to do. You know, one of the things that the Trump administration did is even though they were in charge of the uh, exchanges, they undermined enrollment by neglecting to it, advertise it or frankly staff the call centers that would support it for those people who qualified for care. I mean, the, the, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, it got, brought 20 million people into the system and it could continue to bring in more. And I think what this series of executive orders is trying to do is unwind some of the ideological things that the Trump administration did, like attacking Obamacare, to sort of sustain and improve some of the things that government has the responsibility to do because it's the law, support exchanges, and um, and allow for enrollment, which, you know, expanding enrollment, David, is only going to stabilize the program, lower the cost of premiums, and frankly, lower the cost of, of, uh, of health care for you and I. Because So, John, the, uh, the special enrollment period just makes, you know, logical sense. And you're right. What happened was uh, under the previous administration – they really squeeze the time frame of this of the enrollment period and and really discourage people from um, applying. Now we should say that this will have only a modest impact. The impact it will have is that people can go on the exchanges and they can see if they get can get health care. Now they're going to find in some cases that it's too expensive for them because even with the subsidies, uh, either it's it's just going to be too expensive. But they can also find out when people do that. They often find out, oh, I'm actually eligible for Medicaid. And they end up signing up for for Medicaid, so it's going to have that impact. What Biden would like to do later, which will require legislation, is to increase the the subsidies and make it uh, more affordable. But this will at least have some uh, some impact uh, now. The other thing that's happening, John, as part of this executive order order on strengthening Medicaid uh, and the ACA, is that some of these uh, things that the states have done to discourage um, to discourage Medicaid enrollment, like work requirements and other kinds of, you know, things, the, the hoops that you make people jump through, uh, you know, those, the idea here is to kind of push those uh, away and make it easier to actually go work the way the law was intended. 
Well, I think, and, and you know, Medicaid, which is the state and federal program that covers insurance for the poor, is really a honestly, it's a stepping stone for the working poor to for the, those who are getting paid entry level wages to actually get and keep their health care benefits because they live below the federal poverty line. Um, and again, by bringing by allowing people to go on the benefit, it's not like we deny folks who are uninsured care if they get in a car accident or if they get really sick. Medicaid's a way to get them covered, and all those 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 uh, bureaucratic process barriers, whether it's a work requirement or unnecessary paperwork or multiple forms of ID, all of which were set up under the disguise of integrity. What it really is is creating bureaucracy, which prevented folks who genuinely qualified from getting insurance. And all that does is, again, shift the costs to to uh, to the rest of us when, when people get chronically ill. What about all this testing stuff? What is that indicated in, in the executive orders that Biden has proposed? Well, John, in the executive orders on, on testing, they actually tie into your, to your previous point. So there's this uh, pandemic testing board. And one of the things that uh, it does is, is taking some actions to address the costs of COVID-19 testing. Now, it is making testing free for those that don't have health insurance. Um, and it's also making sure that asymptomatic patients are covered. So what's happened up till this point is that, you know, supposedly testing was, was free if you don't have insurance, but you know, people are getting bills uh, anyway, because it's not clear who's supposed to pay for that. And so it's going to clarify it that it really is uh, available to everybody. And then we're finding that, you know, many, if not most of the cases of transmission of COVID-19 are actually asymptomatic. So it's expanding uh, coverage to make sure that you actually uh, are covered by your insurance, even if you're not symptomatic. Now, this also, I think where this may lead us is to showing that, uh, we can actually go broader, even on things like affordability, but also on, even on immigration, John, because, for example, on vaccination, uh, which is, by the way, being paid for by the federal government, which is a form of you know socialism and universal coverage, I think we're going to see that expanded so that it includes people that are immigrants who wouldn't be covered by the Affordable Care Act. And I think it should be, include people that are uh, undocumented uh, as well. And what we may find is that some of this healthcare policy and testing and vaccination plans that are deriving from the executive order actually are a window into immigration as well. I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I think given how unified the country is, it's unlikely that we're going to get a unified immigration bill through, but certainly the practical reality of covering folks who are here illegally with vaccination and testing makes a great deal of sense because the virus doesn't check immigration papers. If people are here, they're, they, 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 we, we need to make sure that they're not virus spreaders. And I think that asymptomatic testing thing is a big deal. The, the CDC and the FDA honestly have sent very mixed messages as to what you need to focus on, manage on. And, and Trump, the Trump administration from the beginning was only focused on people who had COVID-like symptoms to get COVID testing and service and, 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 and coverage. When the reality, to your point, is uh, perhaps 50% of the spread and many of the super spreaders are coming from people who are completely asymptomatic. So I think that's actually quite a big deal. The other thing that's a big deal in the executive order and the testing board, and as you know, David, I love testing. Too bad you always get an F. 
what the executive order is really directing is leveraging the Defense Production Act, which is a Korean War law that basically gives the federal government the uh, ability to direct industry in time of a national crisis. If you think about what has gone right and wrong, even when we've got a mandate to do testing, there's been shortages of swabs or pipettes or some of the materials, the biochemical materials that you need to actually get the PCR test done. And I think that the if you can have a it, – it speaks to the Biden administration's, again, in building back, really building back a federal response where a national problem gets a national solution directed by the federal government. It's really – and in, 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 in directly by – by putting the federal government um, in charge through a lot of these executive orders, Biden is explicitly saying, I'm responsible, I'm accountable, we're going to figure this out at a federal level. And that's that's a major change. And I think that's another reason why these executive orders are so important to talk about and understand. You know, the Defense Production Act is one where it's pretty clearly in the president's hand to declare this emergency and to decide uh, what will be done. These other executive orders, you know, people may say, "Well, is you know, is he overreaching?" I don't think anybody's saying that really with a straight face, given uh, the previous administration. Uh, but that's a clear area, and a lot of what the federal government can do with this overall planning is they can also clear bottlenecks. We've seen there's always bottlenecks. So we've talked before about uh, on the vaccination. First, we were worried there wouldn't be enough doses, and then we, you know, we did a segment about uh, freezer space and cold chain, and could we move through that? Now, what we find out is that actually, uh, you know, you've got the vaccines that are getting to the freezers um, in the States, but then they're not necessarily being injected. Similar thing is happening on the testing side. So you could have all that you need, but you know, if you don't have that pipette uh, available, you, you're not going to, you're not going to have what you need. So it's good that we're taking it over. And John, just by the way, in terms of uh, clearing bottlenecks, it's always something that you need to do in, in logistics, whether it's for testing or vaccination. I saw one of those freezers uh, failed in, in Seattle and a couple thousand doses were, were going to go to waste. And all of a sudden, Boom, they pushed them out the door. People lined up and got them. My suggestion in Massachusetts, where about half of the doses are sitting in the freezers, is someone should just go around and, of course, I'm not advocating this, but should go around and unplug all the freezers, and that'll give us sufficient motivation to get those shots out. Well, I, th- I think that we're still behind in terms of, I mean, the federal government is clearly interested in getting shots in arms. I mean, the counselor to the president, Andy Slavitt, who's been on this show, was very clear that there, they, there is no serious federal stockpile. There will be not be one. We're going to get shots in people's arms. I think the, the government has come around to the position that we and Scott Gottlieb have been pushing. The other thing that's really interesting getting back on the blizzard of executive orders is this national public health care, public health workforce, which as you know, I've been a big fan of uh, because we really are short uh, t- labor, talent, support, and service to uh, support our public health, local public health authorities at a time when we've got massive unemployment and lots of money to pay people to help the healthcare system out. What did you think of that? Well, John, this is a a great idea, not just because you and Toby Cosgrove have uh, have published on it, but the, when we talk about the bottlenecks, you know, one of the bottlenecks on testing is the number of people, you know, you're asking people to work around the clock, they can't do it. So they need extra people and they need people for contact tracing to be able to answer questions about vaccines and so on. And so this idea of the Public Health Job Corps, it'll be modeled, I guess FEMA has uh, has a similar program um, that they've used. The government can certainly stand up something like this. And it's also a kind of, you know, form of national service uh, as well that's, you know, that's very much uh, needed. So I'm in favor of that. Now, this shows 
how far you can go uh, with an executive order because Biden is able to establish the structure for it and instruct the agency heads of what to do. But if you want to hire 100,000 people for that, that's going to have to come out of uh, a COVID relief bill going through Congress. John, there's one more executive order. You know, I think there's been 40 some that have been signed, but there's one more significant one related to healthcare. I want to at least mention now, and we should probably do a whole episode on it. And this has to do with uh, protecting women's health at home and abroad. And I hear about gag rules, Mexico City policies. What, what's, what's the story there, John? Well, I, I think that it's actually one of the subtle but consistent and comprehensive approaches that the Biden administration is saying. He's not; they are not going to exclude people with. Uh, uh, LGBTQ, uh, uh, the broad series of sexual preferences from the healthcare system or the military, they are not going to allow um, denial of information or support around information regarding family planning and contraception, either domestically or or abroad. And all of these weird tribal ideological uh, 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 breakdowns in public health that were tied to uh, notions of, of, of I, I guess, a, a different uh, kind of America. Uh, by the Biden administration is firmly in, 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 in favor of lowering those barriers, making sure people get access to care, and that we're not discriminating against uh, uh, pregnant and parenting teens to get them information they need just because they're poor. We're not going to discriminate against, or they, the government's not going to discriminate against LGBTQ folks just because of their sexual orientation. And the government profoundly is not going to stop funding just because of, of, of people's categories or, or external ideological preferences. I think it's quite a big deal. I think it's going to be a very big deal for, um, you know, there's so many babies that are born uh, in, on Medicaid. I think it's like in, some, in many parts of the country, half of the babies. So you're talking about uh, significant categories where people need access to family planning. And around the world, it is a fundamental issue around population control and managing some of the most fragile countries in the world, and 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 by by uh, by un- uh, unwinding some of those restrictions, I think we're back on sort of uh, the managing uh, our public health policy in a way that, that that includes and provides access to to everyone who needs it. John, this is I would agree with you a much less ideological approach consistent with Biden's uh, social justice uh, approach and looking at uh, you know equity. Uh, for people across across the spectrum. So John, let's wrap it up there. And I'm going to say this is it for our current edition of Care Talk, where we've been talking about the Biden administration's initial executive orders on healthcare. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Thanks for listening. 